introduce first Dr. Andrew Kirkla, right here. Um, introduce Karen Huffnagel, right here. We got Janice Knox. And then we got Dr. David Knox. So we're gonna start this now. There's a lot of questions, obviously, about CBD and where it's going and its future. So um, let's start with you, Dr. Kirkla. I was just kind of wondering, right now, when people come to you, what kind of things are they looking for for CBD to work on, health-wise? Well, thank you for the question, and uh, hello, everybody. Happy to be here. I flew in last night from Montreal, so my perspective is a little different because I've been in practice uh, I practiced in Europe for five years and then practiced in Canada for the last uh, 15 years. And I am a chiropractor by profession, so I've always tended to see the, the person who, who may be looking for perhaps more of a, we'll call it a natural approach to, uh, to health. So, you know, the, one of the most uh, common questions is that, sorry, that was the, the most common question relating to CBD, um, is really down to the definition, I find. People are, are asking me, what is the difference between THC and CBD, and some of the confusion around CBD uh, derived from hemp, uh, CBD oil, full spectrum hemp oil, and they're trying to understand uh, these different wordings. and. You know, part of it relates to some regulatory issues which may require some products to say hemp instead of saying flat out CBD. Uh, and then you know, ultimately what I'm, what I'm describing is that CBD is a molecule. So whether it's derived from, from cannabis or from hemp, it is CBD. So what, what they're really ultimately asking for is, is there a product that is um, you know, as effective as it could be perhaps with other molecules uh, there, as opposed to purely taking a, a CBD isolate. So they're really, you know, they may have heard that this full spectrum or hemp extract may offer more relief than, uh, than pure CBD, or they may be concerned that other molecules, other things in there that they don't necessarily know are in there, and would they be better off to have a pure CBD uh, concentrate. So that's, that's one of the questions I face um, most often. And you know, from a science background, it's pretty easy to explain that a molecule is a molecule. It doesn't, where, it doesn't really matter where you get it from. Um, so ultimately, the, the, perhaps the, the potential for entourage and the entourage effect and the benefit of having other cannabinoids and terpenes in there making a more complex response from the body as opposed to uh, ingesting or topically applying uh, just a CBD on its own. So that's, that's one of the issues that I find comes up in clinic uh, most often. You know, CBD has so many different <clears throat> applications, um, tinctures, topicals, capsules. What do you find um, most effective and what do people, patients seem to want the most or does it just depend on their ailment? Uh, it does depend on their ailment. I find it depends on their age. Uh, and what I see, uh, perhaps I'm a bit biased, I, I am in the topical space, but I generally find people are, uh, there's a low barrier to applying a topical. So they're willing to try that. And, and we, I even see people who may be getting a topical for grandma or grandpa and simply saying, just try this. And uh, they don't necessarily know what they're trying. But, so the, it's, it's generally seen, the topical scene as a, as a low risk, uh, low barrier to entry sort of product. And then as you go up, through the range, then I think there's more, more, more questioning put into the ingestible stuff. So the the oils, the 
the edibles, the um, you know the tinctures. And finally, um, <clears throat> it's obviously something that senior citizens are getting turned on to, and millennials. What are you finding the age demographic in your uh, practice? Uh, in well. In practice, I I saw kids all the way through to uh, I think 90, 93 was the uh, was the uh, oldest uh, patient I had. Um, but uh, there's a statistic in Canada which uh, some dispensaries, the average age entering into some dispensaries was 55. So um, you know I think there's uh, there's a big push in the baby boomers. Uh, towards health and wellness, and I do believe that's driving a lot of the interest in uh, CBD and and uh, cannabinoid space in general. So I think the uh, the baby boomers very interested in longevity and very active lifestyles, concerned about complex medication interactions, and you know wanting to remain active. So I think they see uh, this as a as a great potential health opportunity, um, minimal risk, uh, you know, natural source. So I do believe the baby boomer is the, is the main category there. I think the, I think the millennials, uh, you know, and younger just grew up with information at their disposal, you know, just through their phone. So I think there's, uh, there, there's no stigma for them. And it's, I think it's a, a much easier decision, so to speak. Whereas I think the, the, the older age groups are, are questioning and uh, looking for more data, but very, very open and uh, very keen on getting that uh, information. Thank you very much. Doctor, uh, you've been working in hormone and thyroid area for most of your career. What picked your interest about CBD and what are you finding, how is it helping your patients? So some of the um, interest was peaked from my personal experience and how it helped me and then some of it also was there's such a huge connection between um, the body's stress response and how hormones respond, sex hormones, thyroid hormones, they all respond. And so um, given that CBD can help modulate that stress response, that ties into how well the thyroid hormones work, how well the sex hormones work. And so with that, I was able to use that to help some of the people who were not able to necessarily get the kind of outcomes that we would like if we're just strictly working on thyroid function or just strictly working on sex hormone balancing. Um, and so by helping to modulate the stress response using CBD, then their body's own production of some of those hormones goes up. The balance in those hormones evens out. Um, and they ultimately end up feeling a whole lot better than they would have if we weren't factoring that whole stress response in the mix. And CBD was really helpful for doing that. So obviously you were using other medications in your practice before. Is this something that you're using to supplement or are you weaning your patients off their prior medications? Or do you just do it case by case? <laughs> it is case by yeah. case because, I mean, the, the approach I'm taking is functional medicine. So in that is I'm looking at everything collectively anyway and all together. And so for some people, yeah, we're able to actually taper them off of the medications that they're on. Um, and for others, it's an adjunct. They do actually need support in multiple fronts simultaneously. And then finally, you also work with a lot of athletes. Um, where do you see this going in terms of the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball, basketball? Are there any side effects? And what about the testing? 
Because that's a question I get a lot from my athlete friends. Yeah. yeah. So the, um, the World Anti-Doping Agency removed CBD from the prohibited list starting in January of this year. Um, but THC is still banned. And so one of the things for, for professional athletes, obviously, in particular, but any athlete that's in, in any kind of a competitive space to pay attention to is whatever product that they're using, they want to make sure that they're getting a certificate of analysis from that manufacturer showing that it is THC-free so that they're not inadvertently ending up with a positive test. And then in that testing space, there's some tests are, they're very general and they don't stratify out and differentiate which cannabinoids are present. This just, is a cannabinoid present, yes or no? So CBD in that situation would, it would trip a positive test, but it doesn't specify, oh, it's CBD. Other tests will actually differentiate that out and then you can tell, okay, well, this is just CBD in the system and it's not a THC-based positive on that and test. And do you know of any of the major sports that are like using it right now? Doctors? That are using yeah. tests? Or yeah, using are using CBD for their, for their players. So in the professional <clears throat> realm, I am not working with any professional athletes myself. I work with lots of other recreational athletes and um, very serious athletes, but not in the professional realm. So that's probably not, that's not an area that I could give a definitive answer on. Got it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Dr. Knox, yes. you spent your career in anesthesiology. That's correct. Saving lives. Um, kind of the same kind of question. How did you get turned on to CBD and, and are you finding it replacing certain methods that you use? First off, let me tell you, I was an anesthesiologist for 30 plus years. I called it a legalized uh, drug pusher, best of them all. But when I retired from anesthesia, I was invited to one of the cannabinoid clinics to write cards. And I had my preconceived notions of who those people were going to look like and was surprised because they weren't, you know, drug looking, seeking people. They were that 55 age group and above grandparents, you know, retired doctors and lawyers and bankers, and they really were coming to get off opioids and the multiple pages of, of pharmaceutical drugs, looking for a better quality of life. And what was more important, they were looking for physicians who could tell them how to use that medication. And that wasn't me at that time. I went to school at UC Berkeley, never saw cannabis. So I couldn't tell them a thing about cannabis. But what it did, it was very, um, humiliating, but also it stirred the scientists in me because I wanted to be that doctor who could answer those questions. So I went and studied and I read everything I could, including the congressional records for why cannabis was off the pharmacopoeia. And what I learned was just mind boggling because then I learned not only about the science of cannabis, but I also learned about that physiology called the endocannabinoid system. And the more I learned about that system, it boggles my mind that they can teach physiology anywhere without talking about the system that controls all physiolo physiology from conception to death. That endocannabinoid system is adjusting and readjusting to keep your body at homeostasis. So every physiological system is working in harmony. And when that system is not in harmony, that's when we see disease processes. And so not only did I see that as a consumer, but as a healthcare provider, I felt cheated out of some knowledge. Because even as an anesthesiologist, I could tell you that I could have used some component, in particular CBD, 
to help my patients both preoperatively and postoperatively. Talking about decreasing inflammation, I would have put patients on it a week before surgery to not only decrease inflammation, but to decrease post-op pain and their post-op need for, um, for opiates. So it really was mind-blowing to me, it made me angry, but at the same time stirred the scientists in me to learn more and more about it. You're also really involved in the cannabinoid group. Yes, I am. Can you talk, walk us through that? Yeah. It's very impressive. <laughs> okay. Um, my family and I, two daughters who are physicians, and my husband here, we all do what we call um, cannabinoid therapeutics. And what we do in our clinics, the American Cannabinoid Clinics, we apply the science of cannabis to that very complex physiology of the endocannabinoid system. So we call it cannabinology the science of anything that has cannabinoid-like properties that we can apply to the study of the ECS, which we call endocannabinology. And once you understand how that system works, then we can better sort of figure out which cannabinoids work best for which diseases, including cancer. Because there was years and years before they thought that the uh, cannabis worked um, sort of indiscriminately on, on, on cell membranes. But with the research and understanding the ECS, we now know that it targets certain receptors on cell membranes. So that, that understanding is pretty huge, and that's what we do in our clinics. We take an integrative approach to cannabinoid medicine, starting with everything about that patient. And our goal is, if they're on a lot of pharmaceuticals, to try to get them off as many pharmaceuticals as we can, but to try to target their cannabis therapy, so we're not just throwing cannabis at them. We're saying this cannabinoid is best for you. And there's plenty, like for example, breast cancer, where CBD is the, is the lead cannabinoid, because we know that receptor is the receptors that are upregulated in, uh, in that disease process. And finally, the, so <clears throat> you talked a lot about the receptors, and I know that opioids are a big thing. Talk about what the, how can CBD and opioids differ in working with pain on the receptors. Okay, so yeah. that's, that's really interesting. CBD has a long list of benefits that it does, but they're all very powerful anti-inflammatories. But one of the things that I think a lot of pain clinics do not get is that because we do not have CB receptors in the brainstem or places where we have the, 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 um, the respiratory center or the cardiac center, we don't get respiratory depression. So you get the opioids and cannabis working synergistically. So as we increase cannabinoid use, we can come down on the opiates. And that's because the cannabis product CBD also works to increase those endorphins in your body. So it stimulates those endorphin receptors to, 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 uh, to produce your own endorphins. So we can come down off the opiates this way and go up on the cannabinoids. And so they're working synergistically, not you know, to depress a patient, but synergistically to get a better outcome. Thank you very much, very informative. And Dr. Knox, um, you've been working in emergency medicine. I'm sure you've seen a lot of horrific things. Um, how does CBD fit into what you do? Um, yeah, I've been uh, an emergency physician uh, for 40 years, and uh, uh, I was uh, cannabis uh, ignorant, uh, shall we say, for 35 years of that. Uh, you know, and, uh, and when we started, uh, uh, you know, seeing more use of, uh, you know, cannabis uh, uh, in Oregon, of course, they've had a medical program for some time, 
You know, we'd see patients in the ER and they would maybe tell you I'm on uh, medical marijuana and you kind of say, okay, so what, uh, let's go on to the problem you're here for. Um, but, uh, you know, the evolution uh, is that uh, it's becoming, I think, more prevalent and people are much more willing to be more open with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, it's also on the, the physician side too, you know, understanding it more, knowing something more about it. Uh, they're much more willing to open up to you and, you know, kind of tell you what, what they're using and, and uh, you know, it's uh, much more uh, able to have a conversation uh, with them. Um, you know, as far as the use of the cannabinoids in uh, the emergency room, I, I would have to say it just doesn't really exist at this point. Um, you know, CBD is, is really more long-term therapy, uh, therapeutic goals, and uh, uh, in the emergency room, we're always uh, really focused on, you know, acute problems. You know, what are we going to do today and, you know, kind of set you up. But, uh, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the fact is that uh, uh, it, it does give you a little more discussion point with the patient. You know, for example, you, you see a lot of patients, they've got chronic pain issues. They're in the emergency room today because they've got an acute exacerbation of that pain. You know, yeah, we can give you a shot of morphine or whatever, you know, and, you know, kind of alleviate that, that pain immediately. Uh, but then what do you do? You know, you up your dose of opiates or, you know, you add an anti-inflammatory or a muscle relaxant or a neuroleptic like gabapentin, uh, you know, all the usual pharmaceutical things. Um, but really I look at uh, now I've got another tool that, that I know about and we can discuss intelligently. Uh, you know, you add CBD to it. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, going to be helpful. You know, there's, there's not a downside to it. Uh, um, so particularly with the, uh, you know, opiate uh, use, uh, as, as Dr. Jana said here, it, it makes it more effective. They're synergistic. Uh, you get better pain relief with a lower dose and you don't develop the same uh, tolerance and uh, you really avoid the, you know, potential for toxicity that the opiates pose, as we all know. So. You guys were, I think, the second or third medical state, right? Was Washington before you or after you? Second, yeah. yeah. Second. Mm -hmm. So you guys were blazing the trail, so to speak. Um, do you still get questions about does CBD get you high? Is yeah. that something you hear a lot? <laughs> yeah, there's still a lot of concern about, uh, you know, uh, cannabinoids in, in general, uh, you know. Uh, even though we're, we are seeing more and more patients, you know, becomes more and more apparent, you know, how many people are, are just using it. Uh, are they using it optimally? That's the big question. So particularly in our clinics, you know, that's what we want to figure out. Okay, how can we give you optimal benefits and minimal side effects? Um, you know, so that's a little more complex than uh, where we started, which is just writing an authorization. Yeah, go get your weed and, you know, uh, you know have a good time. But, uh, you know, there's a more we know the science, the more we know we can be more specific and design a program that's really going to going to help. So, um, you know, it's a, a, a matter that, uh, uh, you know, people aren't too worried about CBD getting you high, but they're just worried about, you know, other side effects and then, of course, the legal uh, question, whether, uh, you know, it's going to affect a drug test or, or that type of thing. So, um, and... Uh, so we can uh, answer those questions a little more, uh, but you know it's still a little open-ended. I had a patient in a clinic a few weeks ago, 
He was using uh, what he thought was a pure CBD product, uh, you know, for his chronic pain issues. He was getting great results, uh, no side effects whatsoever. Uh, little on-the-job injury, gets a direct test, and he's positive for THC because, again, legal limit, 0.3% THC. It's a CBD legal product. You can use it, no effect, but you get a positive test. So, you know, so those are more the kind of questions uh, that we ask. But um, again, uh, uh, you know, with uh, uh, patients presented in the emergency room, again, it's, it's usually more of an acute problem. I'd say primarily pain problem. But you know, we'll see cancer patients. Um, being able to really, you know, discuss a lot more about, you know, how you can use CBD and other cannabinoid products. An example, I had a, a guy had a, you know, stage four lung cancer. He had pleuritic uh, uh, pain, you know, because it metastasized to the surface of his lungs. So it's like, you know, horror pleurisy. It was on high dose opiates, couldn't get pain control. You know, now you can say, you know, add the cannabinoids, you know, and uh, have a much more, uh, you know, effective result. So. And finally, um, so in like, do you, what I asked uh, earlier, do you, application process, is it just depend on the patient's needs or do you have a preference on, obviously topicals are more for pain and joint arthritis, yeah. tinctures, but like what did, do you have a preference with the guy with who had the lung problem? Like what um, did he do? Yeah, well, you know, hopefully we got him on uh, UGL tinctures or where we start, you know, uh, and just, you know, it's not a situation where you want him to do a lot of inhalation, you know, right. uh, and uh, and all, and then it's, you know, it's a deep structure problem where the topicals don't really reach. But, uh, you know, again, it depends on the medical problem. And, and uh, uh, you know, we, we kind of call it a layered approach, okay? If you got uh, arthritic pain, you've got uh, even peripheral neuropathy, and I'm still astounded with that one, it's a nerve problem. The people that get relief with topical products is astounding. You know, topical alone. That's all I need for that peripheral neuropathy that was, you know, making my feet, you know, feel crazy. Um, you know, so that's a, that's a first layer. We like oils and tinctures. I kind of, you know, put them in the same. It's just, you know, the oils are often more concentrated. Tinctures have been a little more diluted, but uh, take them sublingually. Uh, you know, rub them in the uh, gum line, uh, nasal septum, you know, those approaches. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I think the one way we, we prefer because it's a little more measurable uh, as far as the dose you're getting so you can, you know, judge your response and, and make adjustments and how much they're using um, fairly quick in onset, but it uh, lasts longer than, than inhalation. Um, you know, a lot of uh, problems, uh, you know, from low back pain to cancers, pelvic problems, prostate, you know, suppositories are great roots. Um, you know, get uh, excellent absorption, uh, and uh, you know, true edibles. Uh, we like uh, they have a good role where you want a long-term effect. Um, you know, the last six to eight hours. Uh, the downside is they're very slow in onset, and again, because of first-pass metabolism in the liver, you got to be a little cautious about your THC dose. So, uh, you're not getting you know too intoxicated with them. Uh, finally, the inhalation route, uh, you know, we figure that uh, at least at this point, vaping is a little safer than uh, smoking. Um, not that there's big risk, but uh, either way it can cause airway irritation with cough, even though we don't see the long-term, you know, COPD and uh, cancers and stuff you do with tobacco, but uh, it can still be an airway irritant. Um, 
so we, we kind of just take that, uh, you know, kind of series uh, of approaches. Uh, it's still kind of a, a matter of titration because everybody's endocannabinoid system is uh, individual. Uh, we've got different tolerances, uh, and uh, uh, you know the the mantra is you know you start low and you go slow, but you can just kind of titrate up to, to what that minimal effective dose is, where you you're getting relief of your symptoms, and hopefully avoiding those uh, uh, systemic side effects you don't want to have. I've been seeing a lot of patches coming to marketplace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, patches is a, it's another uh, delivery method. Uh, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, medications, you know, that, uh, that are applicable with patch, clonidine, for example, for blood pressure, fentanyl for chronic pain. Uh, so the cannabis is the same. You, you get a, a pretty good delivery with the patch uh, system. We get uh, transdermal absorption uh, gradually. Uh, what they've shown with, with uh, topicals is that uh, you know, there's good local absorption, minimal systemic absorption. Uh, patches, because they're occlusive and often they'll have, uh, you know, more nanoparticles and things, you can get a little more systemic absorption from the patch. So you, you'll have measurable serum levels of the cannabinoids when you're using a patch. And uh, they're pretty long-lasting, too. can last up to 48 hours. Yeah, one of the issues I see with patches is uh, the compliance factor, where, where often patients are not happy with this thing stuck to them, or they, they sometimes may get some irritation to the skin, and so... I would love to see a patch developed for children when you, they don't like the taste of the oils or you know, when they their foods and I just slap a patch on that back, they wouldn't even know it was there. <laughs> um, is Adam in here? No. Uh, are we doing questions from the audience? No? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I will tell you the cannabinoids are all lipophilic, so they do better in oil. And if we want, if a patient is going to ingest the cannabinoids and we want quick ingestion, we'll have them take something like oil product so it absolutely increases absorption rate. So it's probably better in the oil. Um, it is oil, but yeah. it's water soluble. That's what they market it. Well, what, yeah. Like yeah, what yeah. What I, what I see there may be uh, partially a... Yeah, I think part of it is sometimes a, a homogenization factor. So if they do, if they do have a, a lower concentration oil in something, you don't want all that oil, you know, like salad dressing, right? You don't want the oil... Uh, in very high concentration, one part, and you know, yeah, exactly, right. So they're um, so the as far as I understand, the water soluble is a component that's that's making it more homogeneous throughout, and therefore delivering a, a more consistent uh, dose through it. Uh, I'm not sure if it's affecting the uh, the actual absorption rate.
yeah, that's their that, reasoning. Is that correct? Well, yes and no. Yeah. yeah, I think that uh, the, the big variability with uh, uh, ingestion is, is bioavailability. It's a, it's a fairly broad range. You know, studies have shown maybe only 6% absorption, 20% um, max. You know, you've got stomach acids breaking it down. Uh, what else you've eaten makes a big difference. You know, if you've got fatty foods uh, in there, you may absorb it more than if you just got carbs. Uh, so a lot of variability. Uh, the big factor, of course, is, is uh, first-pass metabolism in the liver. And what we mean by that is that uh, when, when anything you eat, you know, the digestive tract, venous return goes through the liver first, through the portal system. Okay, because the liver's responsible for really metabolizing everything you eat. Um, so the, all the cannabinoids are metabolized in the liver. Uh, if you in, inhale it or you know, take it otherwise, it gradually goes through the liver with your circulation. Um, but when you eat it, everything's going through the liver first. So that, you know, causes a metabolic breakdown of those cannabinoids, uh, you know, before it even gets into the body systemically. So uh, that's, that's the big variability. Now, it's not too big of an issue with CBD. With THC, it is, because the first metabolic byproduct of delta-9 THC is a side chain modification. Now it's 11-hydroxy-THC. When you measure blood levels after eating, the peak is about five times higher of 11-hydroxy-THC than other uh, means of, of ingestion. 11-hydroxy also is about five times as psychoactive, much more affinity to those CB1 receptors. So that's where people get into trouble with the, you know, edible THC products, is uh, uh, brains two hours down the line getting hit with this flood of 11-hydroxy, now you are couch lock stoned, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, CBD also is, uh, has a, a real effect on the cytochrome P450 system in the liver, responsible for metabolism. Um, you got to realize it's responsible for metaboling 60% of your other pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, you know, so uh, that can that can have a big effect on you as well. So. Yes. It's faster to, to your receptors as well, right? Yes. So then, therefore, if you take it orally rather than like a gummy that goes in your gut first, mm -hmm. then you have a uh, faster and, and bigger yeah. in your uh, yeah. receptors. Right. Yeah. The, the studies have shown, uh, you know, kind of peak blood levels from mucosal application to be about 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, you know, that compares to 5 to 10 peak serum levels for inhalation. Um, ingestion, it can be anywhere from, you know, 45 minutes to three hours, you know, so. And we also talk about therapeutic blood levels when we're treating patients. So the highest with, is with nasal septum, and second is the suppository, which is surprising to a lot of people. Third is uh, the, the sublingual or into the gums, and distant, but fourth, are the edibles because of the first pass effect. So when we're treating different patients, you know, depending on their disease, that's how we're going to recommend the route of administration for them. Just depends on what disease we're dealing with and where we need to get with that therapeutic blood level. Cancer, anything in the pelvic area, prostate cancer, prostatitis, female organ problems, you know, back pain, 
because they're right at the target organ. You know, GI troubles, and particularly patients who can't um, eat or drink, then we'll give them suppository as well. And certainly the cannabis patients, particularly if we need THC, and we want to get a higher level without the side effects. So it really does depend on the disease process. And I've read one article that said uh, suppositories may help your ED as well. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that. yes. Is, is there a concern that I should have for him about that? Well, what we talk about, and, and Dr. David mentioned it, where the liver metabolized most of those medications, and we're dealing with what's called the cytochrome P450 system that breaks down all of those drugs. So in a lot of elderly patients, you'll see on the drug labels where it says, you know, beware of grapefruit when you're having your medications, where cannabis, CBD in particular, is even a stronger inhibitor or blocker of that cytochrome P450 system. So not only does the, the cytochrome system uh, metabolize CBD, but it, it is a competitive agonist, so it'll shut it down. So we tell patients to be aware of that and make sure they get their blood levels, particularly if they're on something like Coumadin or Warfarin. We need to watch those blood levels. Now, I personally have never seen anyone get into trouble with it, but it's one of those things we definitely have to make sure that they understand. So if you have a father on a list of medications, he needs to, the doctor needs to understand he's taken CBD. I guess just to expound on that, uh, is that clinically, you know, there's, there's a lot of theoretical, you know, worry about the interaction, but clinically we see very little of it. Uh, there have been some studies, there's a few medications, some seizure medications where the blood level uh, has increased. Uh, most of them are still within the therapeutic range, but if just a few are above the therapeutic range. Uh, it can elevate liver function test too, you know, give you a little uh, uh, you know, hepatitis kind of a picture. Um, but uh, for the most part, on, on a clinical basis, it, it's uh, not really proven to be a big concern. Thank you. Uh, what, if any, experience have you had with expectant mothers and CBD usage? <laughs> it's such an all-the-time question. <laughs> I, <laughs> and what I will tell Ch you this. Children and mothers. Uh, <laughs> from conception to death, that endocannabinoid <clears throat> system is working for you, and there's actually endocannabinoids in the mother's milk. Now, there certainly was a Jamaica study that talked about the lower, you know, IQ with mothers who used, but that hasn't panned out to be the truth. So if I have a mother and she's in pain, I would much rather see her on CBD. I would sort of back down off the THC, but I'd much rather see her on CBD than taking one of the pain medicines like Demerol or anything else like that if she's pregnant. So I, I do not uh, discourage uh, pregnant mothers if I think they need that CBD for whatever they may need it for. But that's a loaded question. I think it is interesting because, you know, just the number of patients I'm seeing, I'm seeing some pregnant patients, you know, and, uh, and they're saying, oh, no, my midwife said, no, that's fine, you know, you go ahead and use it, and, uh, uh, you know, so it, I, th I think it's becoming a little more acceptive, you know, that, that it's not the big risk that it's purported to be.
mixing CBD with THCA to create a THC free um, mixture that's really good at treating epilepsy. That's, and that's true. <laughs> what we're finding out with science is that we can use, put certain uh, cannabinoids together with certain terpenes and probably get pretty close to what THC can do. So it really is a matter of understanding the physiology and the receptor system. And the ECS is more than about CB1 and CB2. There's other receptors. And um, CBD is called the promiscuous cannabinoid because it works on all other kind of receptors as well. THC is very powerful when used to treat seizures, but also nausea uh, along with linalool. So we put different compounds together to get an effect. My, my interpretation of this as well is it's sort of a regulatory thing as opposed to a clinical uh, situation, right? There's this regulatory framework that, that allows more CBD application and, and CBD conferences, but uh, I think ultimately as those barriers change, you're going to see cannabinoid therapy with a whole range of cannabinoids. Um, although part of it comes down to availability as well. You can get more CBD from a plant. You can get more THC from a plant than some of these rare, yeah. rare cannabinoids. Oh, like that. Absolutely. CBC, great. GI troubles, CBG as well. And you all know CBG is the precursor to all the, the cannabinoids. But yes, it, once again, it depends on the disease and how specific can we get when we understand how those cannabinoids work. CBN is great for sleep. It's probably better for sleep than even THC. So yes, we do tell patients, I have a patient now who's having insomnia problems and we're working on getting CBN for him to add to his CBD and, and his uh, THC. Can you speak to how much dosage for CBN? Um, dosage has been stated to be anywhere between five to 10 milligrams, but once again, you're talking about individualized medicine. It depends on the individual and the state that their ECS is in. I generally try to tell patients first thing is we're going to try to get them off as many pharmaceuticals as we can. So it's a titration that we try to do and go very slowly to do that. Um, and that's with all the opioids or any other medication. So as we're trying to come down off dosage of the pharmaceuticals, we're increasing the dosage of their uh, can cannabis as they can tolerate it. You know, and it's, it really is um, still trial by error because it is an individualized medicine. Did you want to say yeah, I'd uh, like to expound on it, particularly from the aspect of uh, how pain clinics are managing, uh, you know, pain patients, because uh, there's a lot of work to be done in that area. Uh, I have to say, when I first started this, I, then what's got me most enthused about the whole, you know, medical cannabis program, the number of patients, thousands of patients we've seen who get off or significantly reduce their use of the opiates. Um, as, as I said before, you know, cannabis is synergistic with the opiates, makes it more effective doesn't develop the same tolerance. 
So these people are able to maintain on a very steady state long term rather than needing the increasing doses. Um, a lot of people are able to get off the opiates. You know, of course, all the studies now are showing, oh, long-term opiates really are not the proper treatment for chronic pain. And uh, you have to agree with, with that. But there are some people who have enough pain problems, they may never get off the opiates completely. And it aggravates me no end the number of patients I see who have been kicked off their opiates because they test positive for THC. Uh, in my opinion, I've developed is that if you're on opiates, you should be on cannabis also. They should not be, you know, prescribed separately. Uh, but, you know, we've got a long ways to go with that politically. Uh, anyway, but yeah, in the emergency room, we see chronic pain patients all the time. They've been cut off their opiates. Now they're in with an acute exacerbation of pain or even withdrawal. Um, you know, what are you going to do? Um, I say the Kaiser system is kind of the biggest one that kicked their patients off the pain management, but, yeah. Right, absolutely, yeah. Now, uh, suboxone, uh, uh, buprenorphine, you know, as a substitute for opiates, just like methadone, you know, it, it basically it just substitutes another drug for your opiate receptors, but I think the same principle applies. You put the cannabis along with it, it's synergistic, and, uh, you know, and the whole idea is that it allows you then to gradually taper down on doses of any of those things with the ultimate goal. Hopefully you're going to get them off it. We have to wrap up, unfortunately, because can we do one more, sir? Yeah. I'll, I'll speak a little bit to that, that um, you know, we do have products on the market, so. Well, and, and the points I would make is that any product should clearly tell you what's in it, uh, you know, so concentration should be there, and a lot of products don't disclose concentration. And if they do, it might be a little bit misleading. They may talk about, uh, they're not referring specifically to CBD concentration, they may be referring to the overall hemp oil. Uh, concentration, so so they're not being clear on what's uh, exactly in there. So I think one one of the things I say to consumers all the time is make sure you're you're really really reading the label closely. You make sure that it is disclosed what's in there. And for so it's us, kind of a simple thing. It should apply everywhere, but you know, in, in this emerging industry, it's not uh, it's not always clear in packaging. And for us, it's the concentration per milliliter. It's always you know weight per volume. And so if we have a patient who's coming in with you know like 30 milliliters, and the whole product has you know, 30 milligrams of, of cannabinoids in it versus maybe 650 milligrams per milliliter. You know, we don't want a patient taking volume bottles of oil to get one dose in. So we're going to look for something that has a higher milligram concentrate per milliliter. And once again, we're looking at what does the label say? Is it giving us the ratio? What is the CBD to THC ratio or CBD? Is it telling us the volume content? Is it telling us the milligram content? Has it been tested? And how is it labeled? We want to know everything about that product before we even begin to recommend patients take it medicinally.